0: Welcome to the Family, the Law and You podcast, where we aim to break down barriers and make family law more accessible. Family, the law and you.
1: Hello and welcome to episode six of season one of our podcast. Morning, Lisa. Morning. So joining me today is Lisa Gattrell, who is an associate solicitor of Bisco's Solicitors um, and a family solicitor at the firm. And I am Stephanie Bell Chambers, Head of the Private Family Department, Director and Solicitor at Bisco's. So today we were going to approach the subject of cohabitees, mm. uh, but before we delve into that, how has your week been? Oh, it's been an interesting one this week. <laughs> You've had some issues. Come on, tell us your biggest issue of the week. I have
0: had some issues. So, um, one of my children's school bubbles got shut down this week because two of the teachers came down with COVID. Um, They are doing okay, which is great. Um, Minor symptoms at the moment, so hopefully, neither of them, you know, come any worse. But obviously, that means that I'm now back working from home with a four-year-old. Not ideal. No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can see the stress lines in your face.
0: <laughs> I have learnt the letter J and the letter V this week so far. But yeah, you know, everybody's healthy so far, so can't complain, I suppose. Yeah,
1: that's that's what's important. And it's, it's a, just a constant juggle. But I think everyone can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Having to change their working patterns and... And juggle and I think it's happened to a lot of schools to be honest Um, all around the country where people are having to continue
0: I think Portsmouth at the moment I've heard a few of the schools are definitely having issues
1: Yeah, I think everyone's just clinging
0: on for dear (laughs) life
1: until they break up for Christmas then everyone can have that Christmas break and I just think everyone's tired aren't they everyone's exhausted from this year and everyone's just hoping for a better 2021, which yes, please. hopefully it will be. You know, we've had so many good news stories with the vaccines and everything. So just fingers crossed for that. Yeah. So how's your week been? Not too bad. Pretty good. So I think we spoke about was it in episode five where this year was the first year I was going to bring an elf into the house. Mm-hmm. So what are we? Is it the 10th today, 10th of December that we're recording this? Uh, so we're 10 days in. My enthusiasm hasn't waned yet, uh, but give it another 10 days and I might be on the edge. I've had a couple of nights where I've nearly forgotten to do something with him. Mm -hmm. I bought a really big elf as well. I don't know why. I've seen everyone else has got the small ones that are really bendy. For some reason, I bought a large, a really large elf. So you can't put him into very many positions, but he does have Velcro hands. So he has swung from the lights. I think the best thing was because we went to see Santa yesterday and um, my eldest told Santa about what some of the things the elf has done. He's called Blinks and he was playing a game of tennis the other day. (laughs) So he'd set up a quasi net on the living room floor. He had a racket and there was another soft elf toy um, under the tree. So he had another racket in his hand with balls scattered around the living room. So he remembered that. So that's so I feel... I feel vindicated that it was a good thing to do because he's actually regurgitated a memory. So mum tick for me.
0: Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Mum points.
1: Whether he comes back next year is another story. (laughs) (laughs) We'll think about it. We'll think about it. (laughs) Okay, so let's go back to today's topic. Today's topic is cohabitees. So living together in a relationship, what problems may arise or how can we avoid those problems? What types of problems do you see? And I'm I'm guessing, you know, we see it at the end of the relationship, which is where the problems normally come. So what problems do you see?
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the major issues, is that people often don't think about how they own property, you know, whose name the debts are in, whose name the car's in, until they separate, and then they're trying to sort it out. And then it transpires that what's going to happen isn't what either of them thought would be the situation so it's really really difficult and that's if they've thought about it because often people don't think what would happen if
1: the relationship broke down because you don't want to you know when you're in that initial first stages of a relationship and everything's great you don't want to and for good reason want to think
0: about it breaking down yeah and I think the problem is is that people make too many assumptions so the first thing to say is that the laws are very different for people that are cohabiting to those that are married and unfortunately i think sometimes when people have been cohabiting particularly for a very long period of time they feel that they acquire rights during that period which they don't no. unfortunately the and biggest assumption we get is well we've been together for 12 years we've, we've got
1: a marriage we've got a quasi marriage
0: haven't we yeah common law spouses unfortunately that that's a something that doesn't exist Not in legal sure. terms no. and i don't know where it came from because no, i don't so many people talk about it but i don't know whether it's a a news or media phenomenon but it's yeah it's not something that's a legal concept at all unfortunately Doesn't exist. no which is really difficult so main problems then i mean first of all most probably the house
1: yeah where they're living whose is it or is it in their joint names how they own it yeah. and what's going to happen moving forward after the relationship
0: Yeah, can they agree? Will it be sold? Will it be transferred to one party? What are their interests in the property? And this is often when we see people, when their relationship has broken down and they're trying to work out what's going to happen to the house.
1: Yeah, and the biggest problem is normally if the property is owned by one of the parties and the other party has assumed or wants an interest Mm -hmm. in that property and they can't agree as to whether there should be an interest or not, yeah. So if someone has been helping towards the mortgage for the period of time that they've been together, does that automatically give them
0: an interest in the property? No, yeah. it doesn't, unfortunately. And that can be really frustrating because we all know that mortgage mortgage costs aren't cheap. Uh, and if you have been paying for 20 years towards a mortgage, then again, there's that word assumption. You might assume that you are gaining an interest in the property. But unless that interest is acknowledged by some sort of, and this is where it gets really complicated, some sort of trust, whether that's expressed or or formed in another way, then you don't have an interest in that property.
1: Because it's likened to the fact that if you're not contributing towards that mortgage there, then you would be paying rental mortgage elsewhere. You've mm-hmm. got to pay for the cost of living but that doesn't automatically give you an interest in the property it depends on what types of discussions you've had in the relationship about that if you've had any and what's happened over time so other types of contributions so big contributions to the house maybe improvements or paying lump sums off the mortgage what was the intention when those things happened? so we really have to delve into that in a in great detail to see as to whether any interests have arisen or not so it's really quite complicated so much more complicated than if the parties were married because we have the law that tells us exactly what should happen in those situations mm-hmm. um, it's much more flexible yeah and and we have the automatic starting point of 50 50 for married couples always as the starting point and then we go from there but it's not the same for cohabitees unfortunately
0: yeah, so we said one of the difficulties is when the property is in one person's sole name. Obviously, another difficulty is where the property is owned in the party's joint names, but perhaps they made different contributions to the property when it was purchased. So, for example, perhaps one party put down a deposit of £20,000, the other party put down a deposit £5,000, but they purchased that property jointly. So
1: there's two ways of owning a house.
0: Yeah. The
1: first way is called joint tenants, where you own the property 50-50. If one of you were to die, the whole house automatically passes to the other person on death before any will is given any consideration. So automatic 50-50. So if you put in different contributions initially, but you still chose to own it as joint tenants, then your contributions are still 50-50 if the relationship breaks down. The other way of owning a property, which is what should be considered in a lot of situations, is owning it as tenants in common. So when you do that, you can then have a separate document in place called a declaration of trust or a deed of trust that then sets out your initial contributions and potentially saying that you should get those initial contributions back first before you then look at the rest of the money in the house. You're kind of protecting your initial interest. You then do need to look at your will situation on that because if one of you were to die, the whole house then doesn't automatically pass to the other person. It would pass to whoever is nominated in your will or if there's no will. It will go to your next of kin. And again, that can throw up problems if the other person is then left partly owning a property with someone they didn't envisage right at the beginning of the relationship. So it's not only looking at ownership and how you want to own it and what your initial contributions are, but also, unfortunately, what would happen in the event of one of you dying? Because not only are we looking at relationship breakdown, but we're also looking at the lifetime of the relationship where you you could be happily living together and God forbid, one of you dies. You know, So that mm-hmm. kind of situation does need to be considered as well so that the other person is protected or has a right to perhaps stay in the house or, or live there for a period of time. So it's just another consideration to think about. Yeah, definitely. So other assets, the parties might be thinking
0: about on a relationship
1: breakdown we've got the house what else might there be
0: so the other big problem that we tend to find is debts so where debts have been taken out perhaps for joint benefit you know maybe it was to renovate a kitchen or to pay for a holiday or to clear other debts that Mm. have been accrued but then on the relationship breakdown those debts are predominantly in one party's name always causes a bit of a sticking point So who pays it? It's really difficult (laughs) so I mean ultimately this is again where the law is really really complex and it's really unfair sometimes for cohabitants in comparison to married couples because if you've signed up to that debt and it's in your name it's your debt and there is no claim that you necessarily have against the other person unless you know you can show that there was some sort of agreement perhaps that they would contribute you know you'd contracted with them in some sort of way but this is where it gets incredibly complicated Complicated, yeah
1: and I I find myself conflicted sometimes because on the one hand I have to regurgitate the law to a client and on the other hand I've got my moral side of my brain that you know has a different view on things but that that's where things get difficult that on a moral basis i think people can see situations in one way but the legal basis if you haven't got something that is recorded properly in writing or you've had evidence of how you were intending to hold an asset or why you were taking out a
0: debt it, it can make things really complicated and this is why it's really important that you need to think about these things from the beginning so if one of you is you know and there might be a very good reason why the debt is going into one of your names it might be that the other one has a bad credit rating or that you're able to secure more borrowing so from a relationship perspective it might be a decision that you reach together and as we say the the funds of the debt might actually be for a joint benefit but you need to be having discussions right at the beginning as to making arrangements to ensure that it's all properly put in place so that if something does happen and your relationship does break down that can be properly rectified and that's the problem we only see it when it goes wrong if we had a pound for every time that we
1: we see these types of situations we'd be hugely rich but because we only see it when we when it goes wrong that's why we say you think about it right at the beginning and I think we've seen over the lockdowns that we've had in 2020 that people have actually moved in together more quickly mm. than they would have done outside of covid because they wanted to still see each other form their bubbles have support
0: you and know, we support. can yeah
1: they don't want to be on their own which you know you can entirely understand but making that that rash and quite quick decision they haven't taken the time to think about how they want to do it
0: Yeah. And it's never too late. So if you have been one of those people that have moved in together quite quickly during lockdown and then you think, oh, actually, uh, you know, the properties in the other person's name or the properties in my sole name. And I want to make sure that our our interests are properly set out and protected, then that can be sorted at any time. And it's much better that you're having that discussion now whilst you're still in a relationship then further down the line if the relationship were to break down
1: yeah i've even had um some parents come to me for advice where they have gifted their child some money to buy a house so to get their child onto the property ladder and they've been concerned about a new partner moving in Mm. and and the threat of that person potentially then having a share in the house later on down the line because whilst they've gifted these monies you know they can't ask for it back um but it is their money still and they're worried yeah. about it, so they want some advice. Um, so there's lots of different people's interests, not in terms of financial interest, but you know familial interest in, in trying to safeguard monies, and perhaps just have a level playing field, mm. because I don't think it should be expected that if someone moves in for a couple of months, or if there's six months or a 12-month relationship, that they should get any automatic right to any money in the property or, or any of the other assets so it's having those discussions early on um, to try and prevent this later on down the line because then there could be the issue between the parents and their child, child, mm. you know, adult child who they've gifted monies to and you just want to avoid all of that and if the adult child can say to their parents look I've put an agreement in place I've protected the house my interest, your gift that you gave me so you don't need to worry mm. You know, so it stops problems there as well And they can just focus on their relationship, you know, and allow that to blossom. So how do we look at trying to set out everyone's interests and
0: positions? So there's a couple of different ways that you can do it. The first one is if you have a property and you just want to deal with the property, then you can have a declaration of trust drawn up. So this would be ordinarily where you have, as you've explained, um, two people owning the property and you want to set out perhaps that they will get their the, their deposits that they put back, put into the property at the beginning, that they will each get their deposits back and then any other equity will be split equally or whether they're going to own it in different percentages to 50-50. So whether that's 60-40 or 70-30, depending on the contributions that they've made. So declaration of trust in relation to the property is really important. But you can also have cohabitation agreements drawn up and these are brilliant documents for people that are moving in together because they are bespoke to that relationship and they can set out all of the agreements regarding everything so the property any children the uh any debts uh contributions to
1: outgoings so how they manage that bank accounts whether they should have a joint bank account or
0: individual mm. ones and what will happen on separation so if they were to separate who gets first refusal to live in the property? will it but you know will it be transferred to one party if they can buy out the other party's interest, or is it a case that the property will just go straight on the market?
1: or if it's already owned by one of the parties in their sole name, and the it's being recorded in the cohabitation agreement that they will always own the property, the other party's never going to acquire any form of interest, how long that person should have until they leave the property? You know, to have a window to pack up, go mm-hmm. and move on. It, it really depends on each relationship's circumstances and mm-hmm. what they're both intending at the beginning. But by recording those intentions, it then allows for a smoother transition later on down the line should the worst happen in terms of the relationship breaking down.
0: Yeah, it's about making sure that you're on the same page at the beginning so that everybody's expectations are the same and you both know exactly where you stand.
1: Yeah, and that ultimately is going to help the relationship because you're then not wondering or having arguments later on down the line about who does own what and whether one person has the right to choose the colour of the the walls (laughs) and things like that because they think it's theirs or it's not theirs. Mm. If you've recorded at the beginning how you see the relationship going, then you don't have to talk about it again, do you? You've done it, you've parked it. The only thing I would say is that perhaps you might want to review it Mm -hmm. later on down the line. Because if it is a real long-standing relationship, is it then, again, morally fair that perhaps after t- 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 five, 10, 15 years, that the other person does start to get a bit of an interest? So maybe review it and you could change the ownership if you wanted to, mm-hmm. into your joint names, tenants in common, probably, so that you are more of an even keel, but that, that's a pure decision, you know, for the parties to make. As to what they're investing into this relationship, and again, that that comes back to the other question of of death. You know, God forbid, if one of them were to die after a long-standing relationship, would you want your partner to be able to remain living in the property if you owned it solely, and what you may want to have in your will? So it's to review these documents later on down the line. I think is always a good idea. Yeah, definitely at, at interval periods, and if situation changes, you know, if one of you has made bankrupt or you have had an accident or become so ill that you could never work again so those are situations where you might want to review and also for the birth of a child Mm. because that makes a huge difference as well because if you break up or one of you dies that child needs a home Um, and there are other niche applications that could be made on the breakdown of a relationship where there is a child involved under the Children Act 1989 but again they're very niche so it's far better to have thought about some of these scenarios up front or whilst they're happening and record your intentions than have to try and deal with a fallout later on down the line.
0: Oh definitely because if you're dealing with it further down the line and you're having to make applications to court then you're spending huge amounts of money trying to sort all of this out whereas you could have had these discussions right at the beginning Had a agreement drawn up for a fraction of the cost, and it would have resolved all the issues for you. Absolutely. So, is a cohabitation agreement one hundred percent legally binding? It depends on the particular clause that you're looking at within the cohabitation contract. So, for example, if you are looking at the property clause and that contradicts a declaration of trust or the documentation that's at that's at the land registry then you might find yourself in muddy water so it's ensuring that that's all properly drafted and properly reflected at the land registry if we're looking at things like debts then the the agreement in itself doesn't allow you to 100% enforce it but it gives you enforcement routes that you wouldn't have if you, if you didn't have you didn't the agreement, have the in, agreement, the agreement in the first place yes. yeah so it certainly gives you options that you wouldn't have if that agreement wasn't there. But they're probably a bit too long-winded and a bit too complicated to go into in too much detail Yeah, as to right how now.
1: you would enforce. But it's far better to have something in place than to have nothing at all. Absolutely.
0: And I mean, to be honest, the benefit of having an agreement is that if you have sat down and you have properly thought about this agreement and you have both received legal advice on the agreement, then the reality is, is that you're more likely to stick to it because you know what's going to happen if you separate everybody has been you know you're both on the same page so the likelihood of a dispute further down the line is significantly reduced yeah
1: so upon a breakup does one party have a right to try and pursue the other person's other
0: assets their savings their pensions because they've been together for such a long period of time no and this is where this is where being married is so different particularly in relation to pensions obviously there are pension sharing orders etc that can be made but that is only in relation to married couples so if you are not married there are no pension claims that you can make and this could have a significant impact on somebody if for example they have been in a relationship for 40 or 50 years yeah and perhaps um you yeah, know stereotypically the woman has been at home looking after the child and the the male in the relationship has been going out to work and building up a significant pension pot if they separate 40 years down the line he keeps that entire pot yeah and it's that's just you know that's on a
1: moral level it doesn't seem right but that is the situation so it's something to consider um not necessarily jump into getting married because that's you know if you've never wanted to do that in the 40 year relationship you don't have to get married um just for that reason but it is something to think about how would you manage on retirement if you were to separate
0: yeah yeah and obviously the pension asset could potentially be offset against other assets but you would need to consider that so you know it may be that you decided that the i'm going to say woman again in this relationship perhaps has a higher interest in the property for example so that she has that that pot that she can access on retirement if necessary because you're not getting married and you know that the other party is going to have a significant pension that they will be able to access but this is something that's going to require very specific advice yeah because and it's you very really difficult need... to compare
1: pension assets Absolutely. with capital assets because they're two totally Absolutely. different types of assets
0: and yeah and if we were looking at married couples we, you know we would hopefully stay really you know well clear of this but it's one of those things that you, you know it's an option for you but you need, you need advice, you need to be speaking to somebody about it who can give you advice on your specific circumstances. Yeah. But if then you were considering getting married,
1: just uh, to mention it, the other thing that you'd probably want to consider then is a prenuptial agreement.
0: Yes, definitely. So it's,
1: it's a similar type of agreement where you're setting down at the beginning what your intentions are in relation to your assets um, and what would happen to those assets if the marriage were to break down. Um, so that is another type of agreement that you can have. Yeah, and it's really got, useful.
0: If you've got a cohabitation agreement and you do get married, your cohabitation agreement doesn't miraculously switch into a prenuptial agreement. You do have to have a separate document drafted in contemplation of the marriage.
1: Yeah, but it, 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 there's agreements out there that are really u- useful and again yeah, it's about getting advice up front for both of you really it's to protect both of you longer term and trying to avoid any disputes that could then cost a lot of money take a long time and and really sour things which has to be avoided particularly if there are children around yeah, because absolutely. if you're separating the children still need to see you both provided there's no safety concerns and, and pass between your two houses so that needs to be as smooth as possible so top tips When dealing with a new relationship or you've been in a relationship for a while and you're thinking about buying a house together or
0: moving into one of the person's house, top tip. I think you have to have these discussions. So, As we've explained, you need to sit down. You need to be very open about what your thoughts are. You know, who's going to own the property? Is the other party going to have any interest? What is their interest going to be? What are you going to do about contents? You know, if you're purchasing a sofa together or if one party's brought the sofa Mm -hmm. to the relationship, you need to have all of these discussions so that you can ensure that you are both on the same page and that neither of you are making any assumptions that are perhaps different to the assumption that the other party is making. So it's about being full, you know, full and frank, open right at the beginning as to what it is that you would want to happen if you were to separate.
1: Yeah get some advice, go and see a family solicitor and or talk it through as well with your convincing sister. if you're buying a house together. Mm-hmm. Raise these points with them and they can either advise or signpost you on.
0: Yeah, definitely. So what about you? Any more top tips?
1: Probably communication. It's the yeah. same as you said. Talk about it. Talk it through. And relationships work better when there is great communication from the start and throughout. And when you've been perhaps thrust into... Um, living together because of covid you know just take a step back now now that things have calmed down a bit and just think it through and say right what are our longer term plans what are our longer term intentions let's just get it recorded down because Mm -hmm. we want to make this relationship work and then we can park it and and live our life
0: yeah and hopefully never have to
1: use it exactly yeah (laughs) great okay thank you very much for that and we will have a break over the Christmas period and come back with
0: season two in the new year. Yeah, brilliant. Happy Christmas, everyone. Happy Christmas. (laughs) If you have any questions or topics that you would like covered in a future episode, please email us on family at biscos-law.co.uk. We would love to hear from you. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed this episode or know someone that would, please do feel free to subscribe, review and share across your social media. We would really appreciate your support.